Romans 15, 14 to 21, follow along as I read. Uh, My brothers, I myself am convinced about you that you are also full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Nevertheless, I have written to remind you more boldly on some points because of the grace given to me by God. To be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, serving as a priest of God's good news, my purpose is that the offerings of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to boast in Christ Jesus regarding what pertains to God. For I would not dare say anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. By the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's Spirit, as a result, I have fully proclaimed the good news about the Messiah from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. My aim is to evangelize where Christ has not been named so that I will not build on someone else's foundation. But, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand." All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for this opportunity to look into your word, and we ask that you might continue to enlighten our eyes. Give us understanding that we may see anything that we need to see, whether it be about us, uh, about the ministry that you've given us to be lights in the, shining in the midst of a dark and perverse generation, uh, or whatever the case may be, that uh, you would have your way in our hearts and minds. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Okay, for our visitors, there are notes on the little podium in the back there. Uh, So, Paul starts by defending his boldness. This this is one of the difficulties that I find, is there are times when I feel as though things need to be said, and therefore say them. A lot of people don't like hearing about things that need to be said. And it's not that I want to be a stickler on a point, because... Grace really kind of opens up the door for an awful lot of uh, things there that uh, we may not all agree upon. But there are certain things in the way we behave toward one another that, you know, sometimes we need to be reminded that uh, we're called to love one another. So what if you don't like Larry? Love him anyway. (laughs) Yeah, I'm picking on Larry tonight. (laughs) But um, uh, so I, I really kind of associate or identify uh, with Paul here because there are times when things need to be said. And now how to say them, that's the one I struggle with. And that's why I'll sit there and hit myself on the head and say, okay, should I say this? Yes, I should say this. Now, how am I going to say it? Uh, Because it does need to be said. I don't always know the how. Uh, And in this day and age, boy, if you don't say it just the right way, someone's going to get triggered or offended. And of course, I, I don't worry too much about that. So <laughs> moving right along. So we see here, letter A, Paul, a partner in faith in verses 14 and 15. First of all, he starts out with my brethren. Uh, notice in verse 1 of the chapter, uh, I mean of the book, he says that he was an apostle. So even though he's an apostle, he also knew that he had limitations and personal needs that are common to all men. Uh, in uh, Romans 1, 10 to 15, it says, 
making request, if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you, for I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you but was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and unwise, both as much as is in me. I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. So he has limitations. He, he wanted to get there, couldn't get there. Personal needs. You know, pastors need encouragement just as much as people sitting in the pew. And he was talking about how they might mutually encourage one another. Uh, So he recognized that though he's an apostle, he's just like anybody else. And uh, by saying my brethren, he's indicating a recognition of their salvation and also their maturity. Uh, In verse uh, 8 of chapter 1, he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. I can tell you that it is easy as a pastor looking uh, in from the outside, if you will, from time to time to think that, man, are, are, are people making any effect on the world around them? Or are they just coming on Sunday mornings because that's what you're supposed to do? Now, the reality is, is the more I've gotten to know people here at the church, the more I recognize there are people that have valid ministries in their neighbors' lives and in uh, seniors' lives, etc. Hallelujah! Now, are there still people that are coming and sitting in the pew on Sunday morning because that's what you're supposed to do? Oh, guaranteed, guaranteed. But it is good to know that God is working in and among uh, the people of our church. So he moves on to some high praise which if you look at the letters that Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 through 10, that's the only other church that he really said some positive things about. Uh, if you read 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians is a letter of rebuke from stage 1 all the way to stage 16. Yes, there are sprinkled within that, hey, uh, you're doing good here, but it, it, he, they got so much wrong. In 2 Corinthians, he's coming to visit them, and he's already done that once in between First and Second Corinthians, and that visit didn't go well. And so he's having to defend his apostleship to a church that he ministered to for, uh, I think it was uh, 18 months or something like that, a year and a half. And uh, they should have known, this guy is definitely God's guy. And some false teachers had come in, told him stuff, and they were believing the false teachers. So uh, those two letters, yeah, not a whole lot of positive. How about Galatians? I am marveled that you are so quickly removed, so quickly fallen away from the grace. Uh, Ephesians doesn't say much negative, but he doesn't say much positive either. And and you could go through the letters. 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 to 10 is uh, some of the high praise. And here he says, I myself am confident concerning you. You know, when I was younger in the Lord, I would read this verse and say, he must have had some different kind of people in his church. 
<laughs> because this is what he says about him. First of all, that you're full of goodness. I know probably my background, how I grew up and stuff like that, but it is so easy to pick apart things that people do wrong in the church, isn't it? In fact, when visitors come in, that's the one thing. It's kind of like, oh. I was told a story here uh, just the other day that apparently we had some visitors here at a, an event where there was actually a meal, and someone thought that they were sneaking up on Larry and thought that they would give Larry a wedgie. And it wasn't Larry. <laughs> it was when I was down in Brazil, so I have no claims to responsibility. Yes, it was a long time ago. But it's kind of like, wow. <laughs> so like I say, when visitors come, you kind of hope that uh, people will see that we are full of all kinds of goodness. <laughs> that guy didn't see it. It goes on to say, filled with all knowledge. Now, having looked at some of the surveys that uh, various agencies have done over the years talking about uh, people's biblical knowledge in evangelical churches, filled with all knowledge is not the description that those surveys indicate. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't some people within each group, or maybe one church is really, really good and one's really, really poor. Uh, but again, wow. And then uh, able to admonish one another. Uh, I was uh, looking at a video this afternoon. Guy was talking about the the difficulties of uh, being in a small church. And, and though this is a bigger building, uh, Sunday night, Wednesday night, this is a small church. <laughs> okay. Uh, yes, on Sunday morning we have uh, quite a f- few more. And because of Facebook Live, maybe uh, some of those are here on those other two days. But uh, the reality is, is in his church, uh, people have been there forever, you know, and, and they have their pew. Okay, and uh, apparently a visitor had come to his church and someone came to that visitor and asked them to move because that seat was somebody else's. And when the pastor found out about it, well, he changed the sermon. (laughs) But my whole point is able to admonish one another. The concept, well, well, we'll see what the concept of admonish is, but that kind of relationship is deeper than talking about whether or not the Blues are winning and losing. Uh, whether or not the Rams uh, really mess things up for us here with the NFL or whether we mess things up. Uh, whether or not my kid has a good paying job or is graduating. See, admonishing means we know each other. And you're listening to me because you know I love you even though I'm in the midst of warning you about something you're doing, okay? So when Paul says these three things of high praise about this church, I'm sitting there going, wow, his churches must have been different when I was younger in the Lord. I've grown a little bit. We've all grown a little bit. So let's see if uh, maybe we fit here. Uh, Notice letter A, that you are also full of goodness, or if you will, virtue. Uh, Number one, this is dealing with their high moral character and living. One of the things I've struggled with with uh, doing premarital counseling in today's day and age is how many professed believers uh, think that sex before marriage is, is okay. Uh, do, you, do you not see where the world has transformed your thinking instead of the Word of God? Okay? Um, so when he's saying this thing, are there people with high moral character in the church? Sure there are. 
but we're also constantly bombarded with things. We need to be careful that we're not buying into some of those things that the world is teaching. Number two, all moral character is fruit of the Spirit. And most of you probably know Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is, there's nine facets of that uh, fruit. That's probably not a complete list. He's just given you things that are necessary for his argument in the letter. And he says, against such, there is no law. Okay? So all moral character is fruit of the Spirit. Therefore, it can only exist in submissive believers. Now, why do I say submissive? No one here has ever been unsubmissive to what they knew the will of the Lord was in their life, right? Okay, I'm the only one. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, the reality is, is one of the biggest difficulties we have on a day-to-day basis is who's sitting on the throne in your life. And the reality is, is when we came to Christ, we're confessing Him as Lord. And then he says, okay, we'll, we'll test that. We'll test that. And so often, our response is, yes, Lord, but. It's kind of like, uh-huh. Uh, yeah. So uh, it only exists in submissive believers. Uh, having walked on both sides of that fence, can I tell you, walking in submission to the Spirit, there is confidence, joy, there's not, I hope no one doesn't, uh, no one finds out about, none of that. Uh, it's a, a whole different aspect of the Christian life compared to, you know, I'm a pretty good Christian. I'm struggling with this thing over here, but I don't want to tell anybody because what would they think? Okay, so um, uh, it, it exists in submissive believers. And notice uh, the second part here, abundant evidence of spiritual transformation. Uh, in Ephesians 2.10, it says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Now, the good works, again, are not going to be, well, I'm, I teach a Sunday school class. That's nice. I can tell you that I'm educated well enough that I could do that. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Yeah, but I'm pretty smart. I can teach a Sunday school class. Without me, you can do nothing. No, really, I, I can, yeah. Will it have any eternal value if you do it all by yourself? No. So, yeah, you can do, but if it's a good work, it's as you're walking in submission to the Spirit and uh, that kind of thing. Uh, Colossians 1, 3 through 6 says, We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it is also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of uh, God in truth. Um, how many of you feel as though, you know, you kind of wish you hadn't messed up in a few areas in your Christian life and that you had grown to where you are now, like years ago? Uh, I saw a video yesterday, and I, I'm pretty sure I posted it on Facebook, talked about um, the difference between a pine tree and an oak tree. And the purpose of the video was, remember, who's in charge of the growth and what the purpose of that growth is all about. A pine tree grows very, very quickly, and therefore it is a soft tree. Uh, you can easily put a dent in a piece of pine 
uh, just by going by and, you know, have some keys in your pocket. You can actually put a scratch in a cabinet that's made of pine. Uh, an oak tree grows very, very slow. And it's a hardwood, far from the hardest wood, I can guarantee you that. But it is a hardwood. And it's going to take a beating a whole lot better than a, a, a pine board. And uh, when you go out buying furniture, are you interested in buying a pine table or an oak table? A pine chair or an oak chair? Uh, oak costs probably seven times more than pine does. So it has value, it has strength, but it takes time to grow and be established. Well, the same thing is true of you in your sanctification. God takes time to teach you the lessons. You sit there and say, yeah, but I've been through the same trial over and over and over again. And yes, we can talk about how spiritually dense you might be, not being able to pick up the lesson. But the reality is, is God is trying to grow an oak tree, not a pine tree. And so you'll get it when he's ready for you to get it. In the meantime, we got to trust him. Okay. And again, why, why all of that? Uh, abundant evidence of spiritual transformation. What Paul knew of this church, uh, he recognized they were full of goodness. How about letter B, filled with all knowledge, or if you will, filled with all truth. Um, this is not speaking of broad human knowledge, E equals MC squared. Uh, I'm pretty sure none of them knew that back then. Uh, I'm still not sure that it's true, but I did work out the pro, the the equation when I was in college before I got saved. It does. It equals MC squared. I just don't know what any of those mean anymore. <laughs> okay. Uh, it is dealing with the knowledge of God. Now, I, I love that terminology because it's in a couple of my favorite verses, but let me read a couple for you. Uh, Colossians 2, 2 to 3. And their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So there are things, as you get to know God, there are things that only by knowing God can you know. Okay? Uh, and so when scientists say, well, that's religion, that's faith, uh, they're looking at the empirical evidence. There's a bunch of stuff they can't know because they've already thrown God out of the picture. How about Second Corinthians? I mean, Second uh, Peter one three, as His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. He's given us everything we need. Now it's found in His Word. Where are you going to get to know Him? Okay. Uh, verse 12 of that same chapter. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. So what we see there is even though you have a knowledge of God, you need reminding because our forgetters work so well. First uh, John 2.21, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and that no a lie is of the truth. Uh, I, I pointed out, I believe it was Wednesday night, that uh, one of the lies that uh, we have a tendency to believe is that kids are uh, born kind of like Adam when he was created. 
Uh, they're uh, pure and uh, virtuous and innocent. And uh, what does the Bible teach? Okay? Now, we'll, most of us will sit there and say, we believe in the doctrine of the total depravity of man. Does that show in the way we raise children? Now, most of us here have, our, our kids are adults. Okay, think back. Did you raise your kids like they were dirty, rotten, scum of the earth sinners? Or did you raise them like they were precious little bambinos and all that kind of stuff? And yes, they are precious, but they're sinners. And sometimes we need to reach their heart about their sinful behavior and attitude. Um, this morning, Lynn was uh, at our son Joseph's uh, house and taking care of Leah and Izzy. And um, she's making breakfast. What are Leah and Izzy doing? Hitting each other. Making each other cry. Why? They're sisters. Uh-huh. There, there's a variety of reasons, but how about they're sinners? <laughs> okay. And uh, they wanted what they wanted, and the other one wasn't permitting it. And ah, uh, so what, how do you deal with that? Well, my approach when I was younger and my kids were younger is, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. No, that, that's not quite right. Uh, but, you know, we had a piece of leather about that long and occasionally had to apply the Board of Education to the seat of knowledge and uh, help them remember uh, the way things are. Uh, my wife, she's much better at trying to help them see why what they're doing is wrong um, I just knew it was wrong. So, <laughs> okay, moving right along here. Uh, also, uh, virtue and truth, by the way, are inseparable. Moral goodness, if you will, uh, is inseparable from truth in the sense that if you truly live according to the truth, you're going to be virtuous. You're going to have a good moral qual- uh, character. First uh, Timothy one five. Now, the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. Notice the purpose of the commandment. Why did God say, thou shalt not, or thou shalt? It's so that people would live according to love. So that brings us to letter C. Uh, This church was also able to admonish one another. The word for admonish there is nutheteo. You've probably heard of nuthetic counseling in the past. Uh, There used to be a counseling agency that was actually, nuthetic was in the name, and uh, there was a little bit of a split, and now they're ACBC or something like that. Uh, But the word nutheteo means to put to mind to caution, to reprove gently, to admonish, to warn. In context, uh, that means coming alongside others for spiritual and moral counseling. Well, that's why we have Dave here, right? Or uh, let me see, Linda, she's one of our counselors. Let them do it. Nope. This is where you're coming alongside and helping that brother or sister see that though they may not be doing something wrong, they need to be careful because things can overpower us. Paul said, all things are lawful to me, but not all things are expedient. All things are lawful to me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So there's a lot of things that people might sit there and say, well, the Bible doesn't say you can't do it. True. But... Is it going to own you or are you going to own it? See what I'm saying? I mean, we could be talking about TikTok videos 
uh, social media, TV, computer. We could be talking about any number of things like that where it overtakes you instead of you controlling it. So notice, this is not the special gift of counseling. It is the duty and responsibility of every believer, if you're not sure of that. Colossians 3, 12 through 17, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the uh, word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Notice, letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly, automatically teaching and admonishing one another. Uh, The same concept is found over in Ephesians 5. Be filled with the Spirit, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, uh, giving thanks always, submitting yourselves one to another. There's a lot of one another's in there, okay? Uh, So it is uh, the duty and responsibility of every believer. All personal problems are theological in nature. No one gave me any grief. Hallelujah. Notice, um, other views don't account for the nature of man, the power of sin, the nature and power of God's Word and His Spirit. Okay? When you want to start talking about psychology and psychiatry, Uh, They are not accounting for the power of sin. Everything is labeled as a sickness. Okay? Uh, They teach people how to cope with their problem. What does the Bible say? You've been redeemed. And you can be putting off, putting on, being transformed by the renewing of your mind, being changed. Can be. I recognize that there's something else that comes into play there. The nature and power of God's Word is what I'm talking about. But what about the nature of man? We're all just so quick to submit to what God's Word says, right? Oh, yeah. How about the power of sin? Oh, man, when sin's got a a little bit of a chain on you, I know Jesus paid so that chain wouldn't be there. But what happened? We all go and submit ourselves to it again. And before you know it, we're habituated to doing something we shouldn't ought to be doing. See, how are you going to fix that? Go take some medicine. Because that'll fix your heart problem, huh? No, but the Word of God and someone lovingly coming alongside and helping you and holding you accountable and being there when you need it the most. Ah, see, that's able to admonish one another. So that brings us to number three. Uh, again, the uh, defending boldness. I have written more boldly to you on some points. Uh, first of all, he says, as reminding you, he's not speaking of things they, they had not heard. Uh, one of the difficulties I find is uh, I went to Bible college four months after I was saved. 
And in the first year, we go through the whole Bible at least once, and some things we've gone through at least twice. So we, we studied theology, um, Bible survey. I knew more about the Bible after one year of being saved than most Christians uh, do in a lifetime because that was the, the intent of the program. Uh, and I really did. I knew a lot. Now, I, I didn't understand how to live it out for sure, okay? Uh, not in any way trying to brag, but I learned a lot. Uh, the problem is, is when, when we uh, look, look again here, not speaking of things they had not heard, the problem is, is sometimes when I'm preaching, I, I sit there and say, well, you know the story of, and I, and I get blank looks. Kind of like, okay, maybe they don't. So we're going to have to go back and, and give you a little bit of the background on the story. And unfortunately, in this day and age, that's becoming more and more the case because so many people don't read. Uh, uh, Jason, my son-in-law, uh, he gets saved. And um, first of all, he gets saved. Why? Because Lexi gets saved. And I think she might have been five years old at the time, maybe six. And uh, she gets saved in August. September comes around. He comes over for Labor Day. And she gets up on his lap and lets him know that he needs Jesus. And she goes through the gospel with him, which, hallelujah, you know, I had already done that. That wasn't an issue. Uh, but so that winter, Spirit of God is working on his heart. And all of a sudden, he finds the Robertson's uh, podcast. So he starts listening to that. And Phil Robertson from the Duck Dynasty, uh, he's, he's preaching a solid gospel. I, I may not agree with all of his theology. That's not the issue. He's preaching a solid gospel. And somewhere in the rush, Jason gets saved. So, of course, uh, I challenge him, not only as his father-in-law, but as a pastor. Hey, you, you need to be in the Word of God. Men just love to read. I mean, libraries were made for men, Right? try again. (laughs) Um, Most men don't like to read. And so I challenge him to read the Bible, get into the Bible. And he goes, man, I just don't like to read. I said, let me see your phone. And I download a Bible app. And I said, you're an outside salesperson. You're on the road for hours a day. Turn it on and listen to it. Oh, yeah. And believe me, Jason's not a, a, a slouch intellectually. Uh, he had a full ride over there at McKendree, both ad, athletic and uh, academic. And he took the academic one because he figured he could get hurt playing football. And uh, even though he's such a big guy, I don't know who'd run him over. <laughs> but uh, not, not a slouch academically, but just doesn't like to read. Well, then listen. So the next time I visit him over there in Kansas City, I uh, say, hey, how's your reading going? He goes, man, I'm all the way up to such and such, but those Israelites, they're just stupid. And I said, yep, just like us. And he, yeah, I know, but, <laughs> you know. Uh, so again, um, this idea, uh, speaking of things they had not heard, not everybody has. A good teacher knows the opposing problems of uh, familiarity and forgetfulness. Uh, how many of you can tell me uh, the name of the guy who uh, Peter cut his ear off? Vivian can. Malchus. Hey, Dave can. Okay, that, that is it. It's Malchus. Uh, I answered that question correctly on a Bible trivia night, and everybody else looked around the church like, who's that? Uh, <laughs> all righty. <clears throat> so uh, we, we need to recognize that uh, there are some people that 
you forget things. That's part of life. Letter B, because of the grace given to me by God. I am really learning to appreciate uh, Paul. He says this several times. Let me give you a few examples. Romans 1.5, through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Uh, chapter 12, verse 3, for I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Now, that could be translated grace also. God has distributed to each one a measure of grace. So according to the grace given to me, according to the grace given to you, we're supposed to think soberly. Uh, Ephesians 3, 7, and 8, of which I became a minister according to the grace of God, uh, uh, the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power to me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, why do I like this, uh, this uh, concept, according to the grace given to me? I do not have to be John MacArthur. John MacArthur doesn't have to be Al Osden. I don't have to be Doug White. Doug White doesn't want to be Al Austin. <laughs> uh, but see, it's a, this is the way God has made me. This is the way God has made you. This is the way God has made you. And you operate within the grace given to you. So he says, because of the grace given to me, I, I'm reminding you, I'm speaking boldly to you because of the grace given to me. Uh, he is not speaking of saving grace at this point. He is talking about the enabling power of the Holy Spirit to do what God has called one to do. Uh, Romans twelve six. having then gifts differing according to the grace that was given to us, let us use them, if prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith, according to the measure of faith uh, that I have, then do it. Uh, how many of you have taken the spiritual gifts test in our uh, membership class? Versi just got through that, so she has. Larry's uh, given it so many times. Uh, the first time I took that test, uh, you can score as high as 24. If you score, uh, score 24, chances are you're really thinking a little bit more highly of yourself than you ought to because it's based on experience. So the question's asking you, hey, do you like doing this? Do you like doing that? Do you like doing this? Well, if you haven't done some of the things, ooh, so you're not going to score high in that area. Um, but if you really like it, chances are you're gifted in that area. And if you really don't like it, chances are you're not that gifted. Now, personally, I think you're gifted in all areas to some measure, okay? Um, the first time I took the test, I scored, now remember, what's the highest score you can get? 24. I scored three on mercy. You believe it. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Uh, I, several years later, I take the test again, and I score six on mercy. I'm moving up. And then several years later, I take the test again, and I scored 10 on mercy. Uh, my wife scored like 22. I think she thinks more highly of herself than she ought to. But uh, uh, the reality is, is over the years, I have grown in the area of mercy. And because Lynn is more truth-oriented, her mercy level has gone down. It's not that she's not merciful. It's just she's seeing truth as being super important. And it's kind of like, 
Yeah, well, if you got yourself there, well, you probably deserve to be there, you dummy. No, uh, she doesn't say that. I'm the one that says that kind of stuff. But uh, so again, according to the grace given. So uh, do I want to start a ministry in mercy, having scored 10? No. Now, profit, encouragement. Ah, there I'm scoring up here in 17 to 20 area. So that's probably the way I ought to approach things instead of trying to be, uh, let's be like Doug tonight. Here's the timeline. (laughs) Uh, I'm not Doug. I don't have to be. According to the grace given to me. According to the grace given to him. That kind of thing. Okay? So uh, notice the last point there. Grace, uh, God's grace enabled Paul to fulfill the office of priest, preacher, and pioneer. Now, when I say priest, I'm not talking about in the temple or anything like that. Uh, we'll get to that right here. Letter B, a priest, found in verse 16. Uh, first thing we probably ought to understand is the priesthood of the believer. Now, instead of just talking about Paul and his writings, let's see what others say. First Peter chapter 2, verse 5, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then Revelation 20, verse 6, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God uh, and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So John and Peter are both saying, look, if you're born again, you are a priest. You, you make sacrifices. You exalt God's name in praise before other people. Uh, that is what we're all called to do. So uh, in using that concept of him being a priest, uh, notice Paul's special calling. Romans eleven thirteen. For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. Galatians 2, 7-9. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel of the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me towards the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me. They gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So he, Paul recognized, look, my job is to go and talk to Gentiles, to the nations, to people who are not Jewish, where Peter's job was to go and talk to Jewish people. Okay? So that is his special calling. Uh, I do have a couple more verses there. You can look those up at your leisure. Uh, Letter A, he says that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Uh, The word minister there is liturgos. It is generally used of a public servant. Does anybody know what a public servant is? I know the public servants don't. But the idea is someone who is serving the public, right? Okay, Uh, that's how the word is generally used in the New Testament. It is used of those who serve God in some form of public 
worship. So therefore, uh, the minister of Jesus Christ could be Jeff when he's playing the guitar, Josh when he's on the bass, Larry when he's on the drums, Kelly and uh, Christy when they're singing, or Todd when he's playing the guitar, uh, Randy when he gets out his uh, harmonica, that kind of thing. Uh, Oh, I forgot Ron on the piano, Lynn on the piano, that kind of thing. Uh, So those are all ministers. Pastor's a minister. I'm a minister. Dave Tyler's a minister. Now he doesn't speak from the pulpit so much, but he's still serving uh, the public, helping people in their uh, worship more on a one-to-one basis instead of a public situation. So Paul's job, he is ministering the gospel of God. His purpose, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You know, in, in working in benevolence, I find like Paul, I sow a lot of seed. I pray that God will water that seed through someone else. And then ultimately that God might harvest that seed by bringing that person to salvation. What's the purpose of that person coming to salvation? So that they might become ministers of the gospel, shining as lights in the midst of a dark and perverse generation. This morning we're in the book of Galatians in Sunday school, and we saw where Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Paul recognized that they were separated from birth for the purpose of being a prophet and apostle, and Isaiah was a prophet also. Wait a minute, wait a minute. From birth? Yeah. When did Paul get saved? I don't know the date or the year or uh, how old he was, but it was always part of God's plan, and it served a purpose that he might be an apostle to the Gentiles, not so that he could get to heaven. I know I've emphasized that several times, uh, but that's the reality of the thing. In fact, Pastor has mentioned, as I have mentioned, heaven ultimately is a layover for us, Okay, if you're going to, well, Wayne recently flew to Alaska. So what did he have to do? He had to fly to Seattle. And then from Seattle, he had to wait there a little while, catch another plane, and fly up to Juneau. And at Juneau, there's a layover. He had to wait a little while until he got on a seaplane and flew 20 minutes to Gustavus. Okay, heaven's a layover. Why do I say that? Because die today, I don't, it doesn't matter if Christ comes back 100 years from now, you're going to heaven and you're waiting. Now, there are a variety of things that will happen. There's going to be some worship and all. It's going to be good, but you're coming back here. Okay? It's a layover until you get back to where you're ultimately going. So with that in mind, uh, Paul was saved for the purpose, and he was preaching the gospel so that others might be saved for the purpose of that kind of thing. And uh, that their uh, their offerings would be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Look, there's all kinds of people out there making sacrifices unto God. In fact, uh, Easter's coming, Passover, if you will. And uh, I was in the gym the other day, and a guy said, "Isn't it the Philippines where those guys whip themselves and then they carry a cross down to the center of town? At which point they get crucified." I said, "Oh yeah, oh yeah." I go, the terrible thing is none of that means a thing to God. Now, it means a big thing to all those people. They're making sacrifices. They're not accepted, uh, acceptable to God because they're not sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Well, how do you know they're not sanctified by the Holy Spirit? Where did God ask us to do such a thing? 
I am crucified with Christ. Uh Uh-huh. Totally a spiritual thing. Has nothing to do with actual wounds on my back. Uh, Well, I, I buffet my body and bring it into subjection. No, buffet, not buffet. I, I was at a buffet today. Uh, I, I buffet my body. I, I, I bring it under subjection. Does that mean I actually have to physically abuse myself? No. It means you're saying no to yourself. And you're falling in line with God. So that's the idea of uh, sacrifices that are not acceptable, not sanctified by the Spirit, compared to what these people were getting saved for the purpose of. So that brings us to he's a priest. Now he's a preacher, verses 17 to 19. He says, therefore I have reason to glory. Now before we go any further, notice it's in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. It's important to say that because someone will think, ah, boy, he was glorying when he shouldn't have been. Well, let's look at a couple of verses. Uh, 1 Corinthians nine sixteen. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. I honestly believe that Paul understood that that was his job. God brings someone into his life. It was his job to make sure that gospel got preached to them. He was the watchman on the wall that we see in Ezekiel chapter 3. God was going to hold him responsible for the people that he brought into his life. You need to tell them. Otherwise, yeah, they're going to die in their sin, but I'm going to hold you responsible. Now, I don't know how many messages I've heard. That doesn't apply to us. Well, in the book of Acts, Paul had gone to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. And when he went to the Jews and they mocked him and didn't want anything to do with Jesus, he said, fine, my hands are clean of your blood. From here on out, I'm going to the Gentiles. Now, where did he get this idea that his hands needed to be clean? I think he read Ezekiel and understood that's what God expects of me. Can I tell you? I think that's what God expects of all of us. That doesn't mean you have to go knocking on every door. That doesn't mean if you're sitting in line at Schnooks that you have to find a way of sharing the gospel. It means the people that God brings into your life, you have a responsibility to shine as a light. And if opportunity gives you, speak the gospel to them. Okay? And so uh, he glories in the cross, uh, not in himself. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.14, For the love of Christ compels us, Because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. If Christ died for everyone, then everyone that God brings into my life, uh, they, uh, first of all, are spiritually dead and need to die to self, and they can only do that through Christ. So I'm going to be about the business. Now you notice those two uh, things there. Uh, The first one is, uh, let me see, I have nothing to boast of. Necessity is laid upon me. I feel a responsibility to do that. Uh, The second uh, verse, he says, I'm compelled. The love of Christ compels me. In both cases, if you will, he's compelled to do this because that not only is his job, but the Spirit of God is living in you. He makes you do what God wants you to do, that kind of thing. So uh, 
Uh, Therefore I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. I don't know about you, but there are all kinds of neat things in the Word of God that uh, when they kind of come across my purview, it's kind of like, whoa, hey guys, you got to see this. This is really neat stuff, you know. Uh, That's the idea there. Uh, Number two, the nature of the glorying. He says, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not done, uh, not accomplished through me. So Paul's summary of boasting in 1 Corinthians 31, 2 Corinthians 10, uh, 10, 17, his boasting and the ones that he told if they were going to boast, they needed to boast in the Lord. In Philippians 3.8, he was not boasting in personal accomplishments. He actually considered those things rubbish. You know, I used to run the quarter mile in under 50 seconds. I can't run a quarter mile anymore, but that's another thing altogether. Uh, so who cares? I could run, uh, by the way, at the time, the Olympic record was like 46 seconds. So I was only four seconds behind him, which, by the way, is a long time when you're running. <laughs> but so who cares? I, I could run a quarter mile in a... 50 seconds. So what? That, that's the idea. Paul is saying, look, all those things that I accomplished in the past, they don't, they don't mean a thing. Uh, only that which uh, uh, Christ does. Uh, Paul's summary of boasting includes in weaknesses. In 2 Corinthians 12, 5 and 9, he starts to recognize that sometimes the things that are difficulties in his life is God's way of keeping him humble. And so it's in his weakness that God is strong in his life. Therefore, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses, he says. And then, of course, uh, he's going to boast in the cross of Christ, Galatians 6.14, Colossians 1.28 through 29. So uh, here, though, he says he's only going to boast in what Christ has accomplished. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10.13 through 16 says, We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God has appointed us, a sphere which especially includes you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you, for it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ, not boasting of things beyond measure, that is, in other men's labors, but having hoped that as your faith is increased, we shall, greatly, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere, to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishments. So again, it's the whole concept of what Christ has accomplished through me, not what, uh, you know, boy, Mark Driscoll's, he's got a big church. So, <laughs> okay. Um, letter B, to make the Gentiles obedient. I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me, uh, but only in what Christ has accomplished. And what did he accomplish? To make the Gentiles obedient. Uh, Romans six seventeen. Uh, i got to find it. There it is. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Or if you will, uh, Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Uh, it is interesting that other places in Scripture, it talks about people who obeyed not the gospel. Well, what's the command in the gospel? Well, Paul put it this way, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Um, so 
if if that's the command, if you if you will. And then of course uh, Romans fourteen. Just want to make sure that's yeah that goes here too. For none of us lives to himself, and no, no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore. Whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Uh, So when he's talking about making the Gentiles obedient, he's talking about they got saved. And now they're living the way they ought to live. Uh, That's what he was going to be boasting about. He goes on to say, in word and deed. So uh, we're talking about a life that's consistent with the message preached. Uh, a while back, uh, someone felt as though they needed to go to a church that had a, an outreach program. And, and I made mention to you all that you are God's outreach program. First uh, Peter 3.15, uh, Consecrate the Lord God in your heart and always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have in you. So, consecrate the Lord God in your heart. Consecrate, separate, sanctify the Lord God in your heart, another version says. The idea is you're seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. It affects the way you live. People see the way you live. Some of them are going to come and ask, why do you live that way? At which point you get to give them your testimony. You get to give them the gospel. You get to give them a reason. And why would they come looking? Since no one seeks after God, why would they come looking? Maybe the Spirit of God is working in their hearts to bring them. Okay? And so we take that opportunity to tell them. And uh, that is God's outreach program uh, by us living it and then uh, preaching it. And so what he says there in word and in deed. Letter D, in mighty signs and wonders. This, of course, is where a little bit of confusion comes in for some. Uh, but notice, during the apostolic age, uh, mighty signs and wonders confirmed the message. Now, just in case you don't understand that, let me read a couple of verses. Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. So according to that verse, the, the signs and wonders and mighty deeds had a purpose. It was to confirm that Paul was an apostle, therefore listen to him, right? Uh, and uh, wh- who was doing these mighty signs and wonders? The apostle. Not everybody. Now, there might have been a couple of deacons that got, a, got to do a couple of things. God's choosing, hallelujah. But for the most part, this is apostles. Notice in Hebrews 2, 3 through 4. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us? So, wait a minute. You got the Lord. You got someone confirming what the Lord said to us. So, whoever the writer of Hebrews is, he's a third generation, uh, two generations down from the Lord, okay? It was confirmed to us, he says, by those who heard him. Who were those who heard him? The apostles, the disciples, also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. So again, the apostles, they're doing the the miracles, the signs and the wonders, and those the ability to do that is empowered by the Spirit, but the gifts were passed out by the Spirit, so he gave them to who he wanted to give them to. Okay? 
And so with that in mind, let's go back to our outline here. With mighty signs and wonders, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the life of Christ in the believer is what's really important in this day and age. The signs and wonders were during the apostolic age that confirmed the message. But uh, notice Romans 8, 11 to 13. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, verse 9 has already told us if you're saved, He does dwell in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And I know I've said this a few times before. Some people think this means that we're going to be resurrected. Notice He says He gives life to your mortal bodies. Mortal means you're still alive, but you're going to die. (laughs) Okay? So when it says He gives life to your mortal bodies, in the context, He's given you the ability to live to have and demonstrate eternal life. Okay, he goes on to say, um, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. In other words, if you walk in submission to the Spirit, some of the things you used to do, you're going to be saying no to that kind of stuff, and you're going to be experiencing abundant life. Okay? How about 1 Peter 3.15? We already covered this one. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks of you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So again, when we talk about uh, in word and deed, a life consistent with the message in mighty signs and wonders, yeah, that was nice for Paul, but what about us today? By the power of the Holy Spirit. That's still totally available to us. So life of Christ in the believer is the way we show forth that same uh, indication that it's true. Letter E, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel. So from, uh, from far southeast down here in Jerusalem to approximately 1,400 miles northwest, where we would say Yugoslavia, where now the stands are located, Ubekistan and all those guys. He's saying that from here to here, I have fully preached the gospel. Now, fully preached the gospel does have two possible interpretations. Number one, he has preached the full gospel. Uh, Acts twenty twenty seven. he says, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Now, I don't know about you. But there are 33,100 verses, 1,189 chapters. I have read through it a lot of times. I know some of you have too. The reality is, is if we just go on Sunday mornings and talk about preaching, how long has it taken pastor to get through the book of Revelation? Okay, that's only 22 chapters. Isaiah has 66. (laughs) Okay, it's going to take a while to get through the whole counsel of God. So is he talking about... Uh, preaching the whole thing, or is he giving you everything that's necessary for you to be saved, okay? And that, of course, uh, brings us to the next one. Uh, The second possible meaning, uh, he's preached throughout the geographical region. Uh, He preached over there in Syria, Damascus. Uh, He went down and verified his message with the apostles, ended up in uh, southeast Turkey, and ended up going up to uh, northwest Turkey, ends up in Rome. Wherever he's been, he, he's preached the gospel. So both meanings are possible. Uh, I think that uh, he's fully preached the gospel. 
uh, probably means wherever he went, he gave them his, everything they needed. But wherever he went, he'd preach the gospel. Okay? So that brings us to the last point here, letter D, a pioneer. So he's a priest, he's a preacher, he's a pioneer, verses 20 and 21. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named. In other words, he's doing the work of an evangelist. Lest I should build on another man's foundation. In First Corinthians 3, 6, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the increase. And I've already read 2 Corinthians 10, 13 to 16 there. Uh, but he goes on to say, But as it is written, and he's quoting Isaiah 52, 15, To whom he was not announced, they shall see. To those who have not heard, they shall understand. The evangelist process that started in Acts, going through the second coming of Christ, uh, he's talking about that process there. So this verse, Isaiah 52, 15, applies today. Uh, we are supposed to be about the business of uh, announcing him to those who have not heard, and to those who have not uh, heard, uh, we're going to do it in such a way that they understand. Uh, one of the things I appreciate uh, in doing benevolence is how many times people tell me, boy, you just make that so understandable. I don't know about you, but I, I don't find the gospel really hard to understand. And maybe because I don't find it hard, it's easy to make it clear. Uh, because people get caught up in, well, what I call Christianese. Why should God let you in heaven? Well, I've been repented and I've been sanctified. And it's kind of, do you even know what those words mean? Uh, and then we talk through the gospel. We're all sinners. That's why we need a Savior. God loves us enough to send us a Savior. That Savior lived the perfect life that none of us could live because God is righteous. Okay, And then he dies taking our sin upon himself, is treated like we deserve. And then when we confess him as Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, God gives to us his righteousness so that he can treat us like he deserves. It's pretty simple. But there are plenty of people that they've gotten caught up in the Christianese. They know what they've been told so many times, but it's not clear in their heads. And so we're to go out and, like Paul, be a priest, a, a preacher, a, a pioneer, live it before them, and look for those opportunities where we might tell them about it. Okay? Questions or thoughts? Excellent. Let's pray, and Lord willing, see you Wednesday. Father, we do thank you for the, the grace that you've given to us. I know, Lord, that not everybody's a big mouth like me. Um, we all have a certain measure of trepidation when it comes to talking to people we don't know about you. But at the same time, we know we've been called to shine as lights in the midst of a dark and perverse generation. So we would ask, Lord, that within the gifting that you've given us, within the um, understanding and ability that we have, that each one of us would seek first the kingdom of God, sanctify the Lord God in our hearts, uh, let the word of Christ dwell in us richly so that people would see you. And Lord, for those that might ask why, give us wisdom and grace that we may share in meekness and uh, fear uh, the grace that you have toward them that they too may come to you and uh, give you praise and, and learn to be the kind of people you'd want them to be. 
Thank you again for all that you're doing in us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Well, good night. Have a good week. Uh, if you're not working on the Scripture memory, find something that you can uh, meditate on. Because again, remember, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law He meditates day and night. And then He's going to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Have a good night.